text for today is from Haggai, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 9. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the Lord? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnants of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You can be seated. Uh, this morning we are back in the book of Haggai. If you were with us last week, we started um, Haggai and got through 11 verses. Now I would just tell you, um, like I said last week, I preached through Haggai. This is my fourth or fifth time doing it. And most of the time it has taken at least six sermons, if not somewhere around eight. And we're shoving all those really into three. And so what I'm trying to do is, is I'm praying that God would allow me to communicate all that's there in a short period of time and do it in such a way that honors Christ and, and draws us together and draws us closer to Him. And we're really looking at Haggai through this lens of, of sanctification. Now, sanctification, if you've not been with us, is that, that process of God making, making us in practice what He's already declared we are. So we are, we are justified in Christ, we have been forgiven, we are declared not guilty, and now though we live with this sin and we live with a failure and we know that we're not perfect, we know that we're not what God has said we are or declared we are or said we should be, we're not perfect. God is in that process through His Spirit making us like Christ and then one day it will all be fulfilled when we're glorified and with Him. And so as followers of Jesus, that's the process. Salvation is not just a one-time thing. Salvation is a lifelong journey. You are, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. 
That's what we mean when we talk about salvation for those who are followers of Christ. And so this morning, the the message um, in its broadest scope is in a lot of ways aimed specifically at those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have realized what he has done. God has awakened my heart to my need for Christ. And I've fallen upon him and placed my hope and trust only in him. Now, some of you, uh, there's, there's a good chance that there's some people in this room that that doesn't describe you. That, that's not you. That's not who you are. That's not where you are. You're just here because somebody invited you or you had nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. So you just stopped by and trying to figure out what this is all about. Um, I say that to say don't tune out. Because there's a, there's a great message for you in this as well. So I pray that you'd be with us. Uh, brief, brief. Here's where we are. The people of Judah, God's people, had rebelled. They had not turned back to God. They started following idols. God promised if they did so, he would judge them. They did not repent. He sent the nation to Babylon. They conquered them. Brought all of them into exile, back into uh, Babylon. As I said last week, it's like all of York County being picked up and taken to Kansas City, Missouri. If you want to kind of get an idea of what this is like, where they've gone. And so they're, they're 900 miles away from home. Over the course of 70 years, God raises up a pagan king to tell them to go back Rebuild the temple, gives them the money, gives them everything they need. They get there, things are going great. But because of their sinfulness and the opposition of people around them, they stop working on the temple and start looking at themselves. God sends Haggai to say, hey guys, you need to get this right. You need to get back. You need to look at what you're doing and come back to me. And so last week we looked at how God, through the Spirit, brings us to realization when our priorities are out of line and calls us back to look and serve to repent and obey Him. And that, that's where we left off last week. And so this week's passage picks up with the people now responding to God's Word by the power of the Spirit. And, and as we've kind of looking at this through this idea of sanctification, of, of God working in us, we, like them, have been miraculously and sovereignly saved from slavery that we couldn't get out of, God has rescued us, redeemed us from our sin, and now has set us on a path of living to follow Him and do what it is He's called us to do. And when we turn around and we say, okay, now we're going to live this, we're going to do this, we're going to be the people that God's called us to be, and the Spirit works in us, most of the time, it's been my experience that we usually end up in one of two camps. And that is, one, things are going great, I feel like God is near, God is teaching me things, I'm growing, I'm able to pour into other people. It is amazing where my life is right now, I've never felt so near to God. This, I don't want anything but this. And sometimes we feel that way. But then a lot of times we feel over here. And it's that, I know that I'm supposed to be growing. I know that I'm supposed to be loving Jesus with all of my heart. I know that I'm supposed to be changing. But right now, I feel like I got nothing. I feel like it's just bottom of the barrel. Everybody around me can tell you what's going on in their quiet time, what God's teaching them. And I felt like God is as silent as an empty room. And I know the truth, but I'm over here and I'm just disappointed. I'm worn out and I don't know what to do. Well, in the book of Haggai, we find back-to-back both situations with the people. And the glorious thing about God 
is that in both of those situations, His Spirit works to sanctify us and draw us to Him. And so that's what we want to see this morning. That's what we're going to go into. So for the, for the first thing that I want us to look at... Um, But before I go there, before I go there, let me. There's something I feel like we need to say. We have to understand before we go into this that this entire process is all empowered, brought about, and fulfilled by the Spirit of God. Romans eight one through four says um, Romans eight twelve through fourteen. I'm sorry says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if. And here's the key phrase. By the spirit. You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God. Are sons of God. Now that that's key. Because as we start moving forward. There's a danger that we can slip into. And that we'll talk about this more as we go through. But the danger is. That we start thinking. That we are doing it all. That we have to do it all. And if something's not going right, it's because we're not doing right. Hold on to that by the Spirit. We think a lot of times that's a New Testament thing. That, that it's the Spirit who works now that we're in the New Testament times, but He didn't really work there. But what you find is that God worked in the Old Testament the same way He worked in the New Testament. By grace, through faith, empowered by the Spirit. And I want you to see that. So how does the Spirit do this? Well, first off, the Spirit enables our obedience. The Spirit enables our obedience. Look with me, if you will, back in Haggai chapter 1. It says, then... So it's based on what we just said. God has, God has told them to consider their ways. Things weren't going the way that they, were, that they thought it would, the way they hoped it would. God says, look at what's going on around you. He then says, consider your ways again. and calls them to repent, stop what they're doing, and go up and do the things you know, that God's called them to do. So it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, Obeyed the voice of the Lord and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. I want to take a minute to look at two verbs that are right here to show you how, how the Spirit does this. Because the Spirit eventually first does this through conviction. Now I want to be clear on something. Conviction and guilt are not the same thing. Conviction and guilt are not the same thing. Guilt only wants you to feel bad about what you've done. But we as followers of Christ know that everything we've done has been paid for by Christ on the cross. And so the Spirit does not lead us into conviction, to guilt. The Spirit leads us into conviction. And the difference there is that conviction draws us in to the heart of God. Guilt pushes us away. I can't do that. I'm, I'm vile. I'm filthy. I've sinned. There's no way that I can go towards God. And if the Spirit brought guilt, He would say, Yeah, you're, you're a punk. You're a sinner. You're no good. Get away from me. I can't believe you did that. How horrible are you? How sinful are you? And that would be the Spirit if He brought guilt on us. But what the Spirit does is He comes to us and He says, Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've broken covenant. Yes, you've broken faith. But Christ died for that. So now repent, turn, come back to me. And that's what the Spirit does. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't shove it under the rug. He doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. 
He says, yes, you have sinned. But now come back to me. And that's what the Spirit did here. And it's really, we see that in these two verbs. One is obeyed, the other one is feared. Now, the, the word obey here in the Hebrew is the word shema. And it's translated typically two different ways in the Old Testament. It is either hear or obey. Hear as in listen with your ears or obey, do something. And the reason why it's translated these two different ways is because... It really has the idea of both. It's not just going through the motions obedience. And it's not just hearing sound come into your ears. In fact, most of the time when it's translated obey, it's connected to obey the voice of the Lord. And as I was thinking, I was like, okay, how do I kind of put this in context? What does it look like? I remember not too long ago, um, there was a lady in, in Rock Hill whose daughter was, was murdered. And so she was left to raise her, her grandchildren. And it was only like a week later, if, I, if I'm remembering right, her house burned down. And so now she's raising her grandchildren. She has nowhere to live. And if I remember right, on top of that, she didn't have a job. She had no way to do something. Or her job wasn't enough where she could pay for things. And when people heard about that, they started coming by her house and bringing her money, and bringing her food, and helping her to find jobs. You see, they didn't just hear and say, oh man, that stinks. People heard, and when they heard, it brought a desire to do something because of the situation. And that's the idea of obedience here. And I believe this obedience is not so much to, the, to the go up to the hills and bring the wood. I think the obedience here is to the consider your ways. Because God says it twice. And what happens is when they consider their ways, they're cut to the heart. And understand that God doesn't just want them to go through the routine. They understand this is God. This is our Savior. This is our King. And we've traded intimacy with Him we're worthless things that are only going to last for a short period of time. And so they, they hear and they turn their hearts to follow him. And then it says that they fear him. Now, the fear of the Lord is a common phrase that we read all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New. And I think we need to take a second and understand what that does mean and what that does not mean for those who are followers of Christ. Upon just first hearing it, some people think that we have to be very standoffish and, and very afraid to, to talk to God, to come near God, to address God, because He's kind of scary. And that's not what it means. Romans 8.1, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so it doesn't mean that we've got to be worried God's going to strike us down with a lightning bolt. But what it does mean is that we recognize the grandeur and the majesty and the might and the sovereignty and the power and the magnificence of God. And though we come in with confidence, we don't come in flippantly. This is the king of the universe. This is the creator. This is the one who bought us and redeemed us. And so we don't just march into his presence, start telling him what to do, ask for a few things, and then walk around and go do our own thing. 
we stand in awe of Him. And we stand in awe that this amazing King would love us like He does. And because of that, we say, God, You are so good. You are so holy. This is overwhelming to my soul. God, what do I do? How do I respond to You? That is fear of the Lord. But I will say, that is for those who are in Christ. Because Ephesians 2 kind of presents a, a slightly different picture. Ephesians 2, 1-3 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses, speaking of those who are in Christ, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working, the sons of obedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There is a fear of the Lord that some people should have. Because the Bible says, for those of us that are in Christ, Christ, the wrath of God against our sin was poured out on Christ on our behalf. But those who are not in Christ are under the just and righteous wrath of God. And that's a different kind of fear. Because that fear has no hope. That fear has no cross that it can run to and cling to. No promises of the scripture other than God is just and he will do what he says he will do. And if this morning you have that kind of fear, there's great hope. There's magnificent hope. Because this spirit who convicts us and draws us to Christ, is the same one who right now has, I pray, brought you here and is reaching down inside of you and is awakening within you a desire to love Jesus and to know more about Jesus and to follow Him. And it's this Spirit who did this to these people. He awakened them, He, he saw the truth, and He brought them forward and they feared the Lord, and then it says later that He stirred them up and they obeyed. The amazing thing is, the Spirit doesn't just convict us, the Spirit also empowers us. And this is where it can get a little bit fuzzy, because it's like, okay, so we don't have to do anything. No, we, we work. In fact, that's what it says. It says that they worked. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord stirred up everybody, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. If you hear a couple of weeks ago when Phil was talking about sanctification, we talked about the tension of it's all of God and yet we have a part in it. And that's a tension that we, ha- that we live in and that we have to stay in because Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. And so now the Spirit works in us to give us the desire and the ability to carry out what we must do so that we will follow and honor Christ. Now, at this point, I'm sure some of you are asking the question, okay, I, I, I get all of that, but what does that have to do with me feeling good at these times of sanctification? What does this have to do about those times when I feel like I'm near God? What does this have to do when things are going great? Here, here's what it is. During those times... <laughs> 
there's a chance that we can feel really good about ourselves. And I woke up every morning this week and spent 30 minutes reading the Bible. I've witnessed to 12 people. I finished payments on that mission trip. And I even gave away half my paycheck. And there is lurking within us a monster that wants to take those things and make them all about us. And God, by His grace and mercy, gives us His Spirit that squelches the monster and allows us to not become prideful, but to say, if God were not doing this, I'd be doing something else. God, you have given me strength to follow you. You've given me a heart to love you more. You've opened my eyes to the scriptures. You've given me opportunities to proclaim your greatness to people around me. You're giving me opportunities to do this and this. God, you are working in my life that I might want to do these things and then do them. And instead of moving towards pride and self-exaltation, the Spirit moves us to worship God because we sense what He's doing deep down in our lives. And He also doesn't let us forget and just become complacent and take it for granted. I say that because of the second section. The Spirit enables our obedience, but then also this. The Spirit enables us to overcome disappointment. Now, I told you last week that as I was preparing the sermon, um, God spoke to me about some certain areas that um, He really kind of hammered home those things. And they're, they're things that I pray that by His grace we will move forward and, and, and repent and do the right thing. Um, I didn't really think I was going to hit this. But as I was looking over this spirit overcoming disappointment, I just, I just want to be... Uh, I don't hide stuff very well. I mean, I just what you see is what you get. Um, none of you may be in this place right now, but in some ways, I'm in kind of a, a low spot. I, I've, I, I've been reading my Bible. I've been trying to pray. I just I don't feel as close to God. Now, I know the truth, and, and, I, and I know that God is there, and God has been comforting me and challenging me with these things. But in some ways, I've just kind of felt distant from God. Things aren't like they've been in the past. And God just so comforted my soul last night as I was reading over this and thinking about this. And I just had a renewed sense of His presence. And I pray that if that's where you are today, that you would have that even now. Because here's what happens. They start working on the temple. I mean, they're there. God's, the, the prophet has showed up. Everybody's repented. They're fearing the Lord. They're obeying the Lord. They've gone and got the wood. They've got the stones. They're working. I mean, it's just like if you imagine the, the movie remake of Haggai. I mean, it's like the music is upbeat. Everybody's great. They're high-fiving each other. They're smiling. Even the kids are helping carrying rocks and stuff. I mean, it's like everything is great. And it's like it fades to black 
And it comes up, little words on the screen, one month later. Everybody's just kind of standing there. It's not as joyous, it's not as happy, the music's not as upbeat and loud. And God does what he did in the very beginning of the book. God knows what's going on in their life. God knows what's going on in their heart. And what he does is he brings it to the surface. He doesn't let it hide. He doesn't let it just, you know, kind of ride under there. He, he brings it up. And this is how he does it. So what he says. We'll start in verse 3. This is God speaking. Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And there were, you know, there were, there were people we read in the book of Ezra that some of those who came back were the old people who were there, who saw the temple, who remembered it. Others had been working for a month and evidently progressed. Maybe it must have been a little slow. And God says, hey, don't look like anything, does it? Maybe you think it's not going to happen. Maybe the work's taking too long. Maybe it's not going to be right. But then what does God say? Yet now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. God knows what's going on. And God, God, God shows it, and He lifts them up, and He says, Hey, hey, don't you start getting upset. Be strong. You see, oftentimes disappointment comes... When reality doesn't match our expectations. When we expect something to be one way and it doesn't match up, we get disappointed. Because we've built up in our mind, this is what it's going to be like. And if it doesn't match that or exceed that, it's kind of like, well, well, man, I don't understand. What's the deal? And so I was thinking about this and it's really, I think there's, there's sometimes... Not always, but I think there's, there's three reasons why we suffer this kind of disappointment. The first one is this. We feel like it's going to be easy. And a lot of times that happens when we've come off this, this spiritual high or, uh, you know, I think I was a youth pastor for a while. So like you go to camp or a mission trip and you come back and your teenagers are ready to take on hell with a squirt pistol. You know, it's just like they're gung-ho. They're going to tell everybody in their school about Jesus and like they're going to be like the pastor of the school and everything's going to be great. You know, and like two days into school, it's like... They crash and burn. Nobody wants to listen. Everybody thinks it's dumb that they went to church camp. And I mean, all this different kind of stuff. You know, and, it's, and they're just like, I thought it was going to be easy. But the Bible never tells us that it's going to be easy to follow Christ. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 22, it says that, uh, 21 and 22, it says, When they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. All right, this is how they encouraged them. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Thank you, Paul. Great encouragement. But you know what? We've got to keep this in context. This is right after Paul had just been stoned and left for dead. You see, Paul was a guy who understood. He understood that Jesus never said it was going to be easy. And so if we ever come up with these expectations, you know, all right, now, I've got it. Now that I've reached this level, or now that I've been a Christian this long, or now that I'm doing this, or now that I'm doing this, things are now going to be easy. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure. We have to understand it's going to be tough. But God's grace is sufficient, 
And His Spirit will bring us through that. Another reason sometimes we get disappointed is that we think it's going to happen fast. <clears throat> we kind of get this idea that we've reached a certain level <clears throat> or we have, we've made it to a point that we're going to grow. So when we're going to start understanding stuff, we're going to be able to start doing stuff. And so when we, it doesn't happen as fast as we want. When we understand that it's a lifelong process and God is slowly changing. Or what really happens is when we start struggling with some kind of sin. We recognize it as sin. We pray that God would give us strength to fight that sin. And we wrestle with it. And we hate it when it comes up. And over and over and over, we fight that sin for what seems like months and maybe years. And we don't know, God, I thought this was going to be over. I've prayed hundreds of times and I'm still wrestling with it. God in His Spirit says, we're in this for the long haul. And I am making you like Christ. So continue leaning on me and I will bring you through this. And then the third one is this. And this one is, um, I don't know about you guys, but preachers are guilty of this one a lot. It's going to be like somebody else. So we have, it's going to be easy, it's going to happen fast, or it's going to be like somebody else. And you know, this is that kind of thing where you sit back and, and you look at that person. Small group leader, good friend you just met, and it's just like, dude, do you, does Jesus come down and tell you this stuff? Like face to face? Because you're like the most spiritual person that I know. You know more about the Bible. Why can't my life be like theirs? And when we start comparing, just like they did with the temple, we start comparing and we say, well, my life's not like so-and-so, or I don't know as much of the Bible as they do, or I don't have the opportunity. And we start looking at that, we say, well, I don't guess it's really worth it. But here's what we've got to understand. In those times, in those times, we have great, great opportunity to grow. In fact, I would dare say that often in those times is when God will do the most in your life. Because when things are going great, we, we don't... We cling to God. But there's nothing like going through a hard time that removes the fluff and gets you deep down to the core. And these people are going, I mean, they, they've been rescued, they've been oppressed, they've been everything, and now God's going and going to go build the temple. So they go just trying it, and it's not working out of the way. It doesn't look like it did. We're not sure what's going on. And God comes to them, and this is what he says Be strong. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. He then goes on to say that he, he's doing this according to the covenant that he made with their fathers when he brought them out of Egypt. Now, it's, it's important that we see this emphasis on God saying, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. He says it over and over again, and, and here's why. If you remember last week, we said the temple was this visible sign of God's presence with them. 
It was where sacrifice took place. It was where worship took place. It was where they brought offerings. It was where all of the hub of their country took place there at the temple. And it has now been raised. It is nothing but a bunch of rubble. And God says, I'm with you. Keep going. I'm with you. Keep going. I'm with you. And God is driving home the point that this temple in and of itself is not his presence. He is there. He is there now. He is not a distant deity sitting off in the clouds waiting for them to get something right so that he comes back and spends time with them. He is in their midst. He is working in their life. He is up close and personal with them right in the middle of despair and disappointment. And I hope you see where I'm going with this. And in the same time, you and I know that Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Let me tell you something. If you are in Christ, your sin, past, present, future, and your sin nature has been nailed to the cross and is with Christ. It is taken away. And as Cameron said, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And so when you're struggling or you feel God's a million miles away, understand the truth that He is there. He has not forsaken you. He's not waiting on you to get a couple of things right before He comes back into your life. But what is He calling you to do? He's calling you to work, to go, to do what it is that He's called us to do. How do we know that? Well, God does this interesting thing. They, they can't see this. The temple looks like it's just in a bunch of ruins. It, they, don't, they don't know what's going on. And God makes a promise. He says, Yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to do something. And when God says He's going to do something, He does it. But there's something I want you to see here. The temple is going to be glorious. Like no glory the temple had ever had. The temple would be a place where peace would be for all nations. And those from all around the world would be drawn in to this new temple. Jesus was hanging out with some guys one day. And as usual, the religious types were giving him a, a really hard time. They didn't like what he said. So this is what they tell him. So the Jews said to him, 
What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus had just uh, drove out all the money changers from the temple. You know, nice, peaceful Jesus made a whip and started beating people with it and drove them out of the temple. Um, I'd say he was pretty passionate about the temple. So Jews said, what sign do you show these things, uh, show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had had this, he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. God, even here in the book of Haggai, is making a beeline to Jesus. There's a great and a grand and glorious temple. God sent Christ for us so that we might be reconciled to God. And can I tell you something? If God is faithful to send Christ to purchase you and redeem you and restore you and to make you His, will He not be faithful to bring you through whatever? Brothers and sisters, our sanctification is is sure. It will happen. And we have to take any thoughts, any feelings, or whatever we have, and take them to the Word, and let the Spirit overwhelm them with truth. And we cling to the God who keeps His promises. So what do we do with this? Where do we take this? There's three things. First is this. We must remember that the good times are not because of us. Pride is a very, very, very sneaky sin. You know, we say don't be prideful, so it means like we shouldn't, not saying you don't need to be proud of your favorite football team, you know, or excited about what your kids have done. Pride is that sense of got this down I'm doing this and I am I'm rocking and rolling people want to be like me and you know most of the time we don't say that most of the time that's just not I mean we don't wear that on a t-shirt if you do come see me later we'll pray about it but you know that's not usually we don't we're not as usually as boastful that's the thing that's inside of us it's the thing that we don't say out loud but it's the it's those thoughts that go through our mind you know, we see somebody struggling, you're like, man, you know, if you just, you had it all like me. Let me tell you how I got through that. The good times help us to remember that it's only by the grace of God that we're there. And when you start understanding that God would give you these sweet, gracious times with Him, man, it changes things. It's those times that we we come to worship and we say, Father, I know me deep down inside. I know left up to me I wouldn't be here. But you have brought me here. And I sense it and I feel it and I know it. So Lord, would you please 
Show me how to overflow this in worship to you. That's the good times. Second thing is this. We've got to remember that the bad times are a time to work by the Spirit. What I mean by that is, one, it's the time for the Spirit to motivate us to work. It's the Spirit who encourages us. It's the Spirit who picks us up, reminds us of the truth of the gospel, and then tells us to go. But then also, the command of God in that time, He said, be strong, be strong, be strong, and then the imperative verb, work. We remember that what we said is, it is, it is God's Spirit who works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. And when you're going through those difficult times, you will not feel like pursuing holiness with all that you've got. You won't feel like giving it everything and being the person that God has called you to be. You won't feel like it. But the Spirit takes the truth of the gospel and plants it deep into our hearts and says, though you may not feel it, though you may not understand it, though right now it doesn't feel like anything is going right, you pursue it. Pour your life into seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. Do it. Give it all. Take what you've got to do and go for it. Because it's the Spirit working in you. And it's during those hard times that God often opens things up and we see them for what they really are. And then the last thing is this, and we're done. Worship is our proper response to seeing God's work in sanctification. Worship is our proper response. Because we understand what God has done, who He is. We see Him rightly, and then we respond. This morning, let me ask you, where, where are you on this whole conundrum. Are things going well? Then praise the Lord. Are things really difficult in a hard spot? Worship with all that you've got because you have a God who's not deserted you, who's not forgotten you, who is not letting you go, but who is right there with you. But thirdly, are you on the outside looking in? Are you out there saying, I, I don't know this Jesus. And this whole thing of God working in, that is foreign to me because I don't know Jesus. I may have heard about him. His name's pretty famous. And I know that churches talk about him and people pray to him. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, have you been awakened to the fact that without Christ you have no hope. And maybe this morning for the very first time, your eyes have been opened and you see that God is calling you to forsake a life of sin and rebellion that cares nothing about Him and to come and find your greatest fulfillment, your greatest joy in being His. If that's you this morning, I beg of you, don't, don't leave this place without talking to somebody about that. Maybe somebody who bought, brought you. Somebody who invited you. 
Maybe it's myself or Fudd or maybe just different people around. You want to stop somebody and say, you know what? Hey, this morning, I just need to find out a little more about this Jesus thing. Nobody's going to try to force you to do anything. We're not trying to talk you into something. If we can talk you into it, somebody can talk you out of it. We want to share with you the truth of God's Word and pray that God would do what only He can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... God, I thank you that you don't sugarcoat it in your word. And God, I thank you that we can find our, our reality and our situation being lived out in the lives of people all throughout the pages of Scripture. And Lord, I thank you that when things are great, we can recognize the work of your Spirit and worship. And Lord, oh, I thank you that when we feel far away or we don't feel strong or we feel overwhelmed or we feel just not as close God that the truth still remains the truth so Lord would you draw us back would you draw near to us this morning and would you allow our hearts to overflow in praise like never before Lord we love you We ask in Christ's name.